Thank you, Wayne. Thank you all. Good morning. Uh, we're back in Ephesians chapter 6, verses uh, 10 through 20, and this is the third installment in what will be four messages, maybe five on spiritual warfare. And I mentioned that because the fifth, we'd like to do a question and answer. So in your bulletin this morning, there's a notes page, and the address, uh, email address, is written out there so that if you would like to send us a question that you have that has not been answered as of yet, um, you may send that to us and I'll try to answer some of those questions. So uh, please plan on that. That'll come after Easter next week. We'll take a little time to look at uh, Palm Sunday and then on Easter or Resurrection Sunday, of course, we'll, we'll give uh, all of our attention to that and then we'll resume Ephesians and finish it out in April. So, which is a really great month. Um, the birthday of a very, very special person falls on April 11th. And uh, actually, there's about four or five of us that <laughs> have that birthday. But anyway, I'm running out of birthdays, so I got to celebrate them bigger and bigger every year. <laughs> Presents are welcome and appreciated. My, my gift list will be posted. Uh, I'll have to put up a web page first, but uh, what, do they, what do they call a registry? I'll, I'll, I'll put up a registry. So how about that? You'll look in vain for it. Let me read Ephesians before I say any more stupid stuff. Let me, let me read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. By the way, the devil is humorless. So you can always uh, get the upper hand if you can laugh at yourself or laugh uh, in the joy of the Lord. Um, I'm not talking about some kind of holy laughter, although, but yeah, the devil, he, he doesn't have a sense of humor. He has no joy. He's so prideful and self-centered and envious and other. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, or we could say, for that reason, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given for, by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Stop there. You know, I've shared a lot of basic information, but there's just nothing in all that I've shared that trumps the, the thing that I just, I want to underscore again and again and again. Be strong in the strength of the Lord. That is where your power is. That is where your strength is. In fact, all the pieces of the armor, they are indications of what is yours and mine in Jesus Christ, not just in his supernatural, glorious identity, you know, equal with God, preexistent, come to earth, incarnate, taking up the mission of God. It is in particular the things that he has won for us on the cross and in the resurrection. And you'll see that, that these pieces of armor have to do with our status and who we are in Christ because of what he has won for us in that spiritual battle in the first place so that we can stand strong in the pieces of the armor. Speaking of strength, I mean, what could be stronger than, say, the Great Wall of China, you know, in terms of being impenetrable? And I was reminded this week of the oil rig oil drilling platform called the Hibernia, which is uh, up in the North Atlantic. And uh, I thought I would just touch on a few things about the Hibernia as we look at spiritual uh, warfare. Uh, The Hibernia, by the way, if you were to drive from here to the airport in LA, it's about the same distance from St. John's uh, up in northern Canada to the the location of the Hibernia. And there's a great oil field there called the Hibernia. And so this is the the Hibernia oil field, oil platform, I guess you'd call it. But the thing I want to point out is it was uh, completed in 1997, and it's the most fortified offshore oil platform ever. It stands 200, I mean, it's just, it's grounded in the bottom of the ocean floor, the surface of which stands 265 feet above the floor, and then the Hibernia not only stands that 265, but another 200, another 735 feet above the surface for a total of a structure that's over 65 stories tall. And it's just actually grounded. In fact, they, it can withstand hurricanes, high seas, even icebergs because it's, it's more than a platform. It's like an island, an artificial island in and of itself. And that's good news for the people who work on it because a lot of these platforms in the past under hurricane forces and other kinds of travails of the open ocean, they have capsized and many have lost their lives. This one though, as I said, can withstand hurricanes, something we're not familiar with here in California. It can withstand high seas 
And I've only been on the high sea a couple of times when there was any kind of storm. And it's, it's a very uh, humiliating, yeah, certainly humbling <laughs> experience. Uh, maybe not humiliating, but humbling for sure. And it can withstand icebergs. And, uh, the, you know, the closest thing that I am familiar with when it comes to icebergs is when somebody hands me a snow cone. <laughs> Not very threatening at all. But if I, were a station, if I were stationed in the open ocean and an iceberg were, was coming my way, I would think shades of the Titanic. So this sea-worthy island in itself uh, is a pretty amazing structure and uh, it can withstand an iceberg strike of up to six million tons. I can't even fathom that. That's, that's, that's big. For the, but it's not even going to let them get close even though it has 16 teeth around the, the foundation so that if an iceberg does strike it, the impact is distributed throughout the structure and its foundation. But on top of that, they have water cannons, so they just, you know, they can, I don't think squirt is quite the right word, but (laughs) (laughs) they can drive these smaller icebergs away. And then if they get bigger ones, they have tugboats that lasso them and cowboy them out of the way. So this thing is uh, pretty safe. One expert put it, obviously, it's best to avoid such confrontations. And, he added, the best way to do that is to understand the movements of your enemy. Satan wants to stop you and stop me from living for Christ. He wants to thwart the redemptive work of God. He wants to make it look bad. He wants his church to look weak and pitiful. He wants you and me to live in the flesh rather than in the spirit because then we'll just live pretty much like everybody else and we'll be subject to all the kinds of things that uh, preoccupy and confound the, the rest of the world. Although we'll bear the name Christian, people look at us and say, what's the difference? Where's the power? That's why we become strong in the strength of the Lord. And I want us to really appreciate that although I, I want to give us information that can make us wiser, so that... Uh, In being wise, we should depend on the Lord that we would detect and be aware of spiritual warfare so that we might maneuver it in the strength of the Lord and in the power of the Spirit 
and that our lives would reflect the very strength and power of Jesus Christ. So when I say uh, with Paul, and I'm echoing what he says here in verse 10, become strong, be strong, get strong, clothe yourself in the strength of the Lord, that is the first thing that we need to seek to do and we can rationalize backward from that. And we've talked about that in the last two uh, Sundays that we spent together in this subject, talking about how we have to acknowledge our own weakness, but that's good because when we acknowledge our weakness, then we turn to him who is truly strong and we aren't foolish and try to operate in our own strength. And so we've been looking at these uh, key elements and I, today as uh, we look at verses 10 through 20, I want us to appreciate um, that in standing fully equipped, this is something that Paul puts a great emphasis on here in these verses and I kind of wanted to show you just how clear he makes it um, because we might ask, how do we put on, you know, the strength of the Lord? And Paul answers this right here in these opening verses. In verse 11, he says, put on the panoply. Um, I like that word panoply. That's why I used it. But it just means whole armor. That's the word. To, the Greek word, by the way, that's translated whole armor is the word panoply or panoplia. So, uh, pan means all, like when they say pantheistic, pan-Hellenic, pan-American, pan, all. And uh, the hoplite, oplite, was the well-armed foot soldier. So, the pan of plea refers to his, or <coughs> the soldier's armor. Okay, so what does he say? Put on that armor. Why, we might ask. He gives us the answer. In order to be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That's its purpose. That we should not be duped, swindled, or deceived. And when he dupes and swindles and deceives us, it's to make us rely on our own strength, to focus on our own wants and needs and interests, and not trust the Lord, not act in his strength. And why the devil? This he wants to really emphasize in verse 12, because he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So this armor is powerful for a unique and special enemy, the devil, and his demonic forces that are described in that verse. Now notice what Paul says in the next verse. It is for this reason. What's the reason? Well, that's what he's just outlined in verse 12 uh, and verse 11. It is for this reason, what I've just explained, that I'm telling you a second time, put on the whole armor of God. And that's something that we really want to pay attention to. Last week, I don't know that I got to develop it in this service, but in the first service I had it in my notes. And I, I did talk a little bit about 
kind of three conditions uh, for victory in spiritual warfare beside, uh, or I could call them um, things that we add to or do to help us stand strong in the strength of the Lord. And it was this, live in the present was one. Live in the present. It's so important to live in the present, but it's so hard. It's important, but it's hard. Many of you are not here now. You left a few moments ago. You'll be back. If I raise my voice or if I fall down or something startles you, you'll be back. But that's kind of the way we lead our lives, and I understand that. Sometimes when we sing the worship hymns, we're not here. We're, we're just, sometimes we don't sing. That's, I, that's okay, but we're not, even, we're not even making the words our own. Sometimes we may daydream or we look around at other people. These are things that mean we're not present in the present. And that's very important because only when you're present in the present can Jesus Christ be Lord of your life. Can you turn to him and appropriate or claim his strength. It's only then that you can trust him. It's only then that you can believe in him. And so sometimes in the present, we're not in the present. We're in the past or in the future. Sometimes we're in the past because things went wrong. And the things that went wrong shape our fears about the future. Sometimes we've done things to, for which we're ashamed that we might think God's angry about. Um, we haven't been able to make it right with the person that maybe we hurt or the person that hurt us and then we did something wrong in return and now it's a mess and we've got to untangle it. I mean, there are all kinds of things in the past, things that are creeping over our hearts and our minds. But I want you to understand, in Christ, there is great spiritual power because of what, who he is, what he came to do, the very notion of the incarnation, the preexistent divine son of God who becomes human, Im Im implements the very plan of God that was set before the foundation of the world. This is the message of Ephesians. And then what does he do? He says, you're so valuable to me that you're worth my life in return because I want to win you to a whole new way of life, a new humanity. And so on the cross, he pays an incomparable, incomprehensible price for you and for me. And in that process, he makes us completely acceptable to God when we appropriate that, that gift of grace, a <laughs> total gift of grace, when we recognize what God has done in Jesus Christ. He emancipates us. He elevates us. He gives us a legal status, makes us his very child, son or daughter, gives us an inheritance. He, in fact, he pours out on us in our present condition 
he pours out upon us his spirit so that we have, if you will, the very divinity of God indwelling us when we allow him to be God in our lives. He rises from the dead to give us that new future. And then what does that mean for you and me? Well, it's a whole bunch of head knowledge to be sure, but if we, if we boil it out and apply it, it means that whatever mess you made today should not be ruling your life. It should be in the past. It's been forgiven. Not just so that we can become content, but that we should be available to be used of God because he wants to operate in us. He wants to make a difference through us. And the same way about the future. Sometimes it's the past or the future that immobilizes us. And it's the past and the future to which we go. So we're not only wasting the past and the present, but the future. God wants you to be present. And I, I, if you want to learn more about this sometime, come and, come and see me. I'll talk to you more about it. But it's really just living the Christian life moment by moment, living it by faith, putting off the old person, putting off the past, putting on Christ that prepares us to live well in the present and shape our future. That's very important. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came that you might have abundant life. Well, Satan comes, he says in that same passage, to kill and destroy. And what's he going to kill and destroy? Well, the abundant life of Jesus Christ that he wants you to live out. Abundant doesn't mean selfish. It means the new life, the new humanity that we have in Christ when he is living through us. The enemy would love to mess that up each and every day by filling our minds and hearts with worry, anxiety, anger, bitterness, envy, and all the other things. Live in the present, and God will begin to renew your life, accelerate that in huge ways. Second thing, submit to God and resist the devil. This is based on James 4, 7. Submission to him is the same as what Paul says when he says, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, let God operate in your life. Practically trust him. Seek his will. Lean on him for the next word to come out of your mouth. Let his attitudes change the way you look at that person that's annoying you. These are the kinds of things that happen when we submit ourselves to him. But he adds in James 4, 7, resist the devil. And that we can do because we have that power in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 7, Paul reminds us that our weapons are not human or, the, or of this world. They are, in fact, powerful to demolish demonic strongholds. So that's very important. And that brings us to the third thing. We need to dress ourselves in the full armor or panoply of God. And that's in verses 14 through 18. And you might remember how common the presence of Roman soldiers would be to the reader, certainly to those in Ephesus, but across the Roman Empire. And these pieces of armor 
are all ingredients of Christ's strength. And so I want us uh, to look at those. Man, I'm... Here's the, the armor. Uh, let's look at these. And last week I was going to look at the pieces in a little different angle. I'll try to confi- uh, conflate the two or put them together. Um, because I think it's the armor that identifies not only the strength of our, our, def- our defense and attack, but also it, it identifies some of the tactics of uh, our enemy as well. And so the first is the belt of truth. Um, I had really needed to wear a belt lately. In fact, this morning I went to my closet to find a pair of pants and I took four pair out and they were all too big. I needed a belt to hold them up. And you don't want to go running into battle with your pants falling down. (laughs) So you really do need a belt. And uh, it was even more important in the armor of the soldier, and that would bind and hold everything together. The last thing you need to be thinking about with an enemy in front of you is uh, uh, whether your skivvies are going to fall down. So the belt of truth, don't don't confuse the armor just with the, but notice the spiritual power here, truth. In chapter 1, verse 13, Paul you know, comes to the end. He starts off the letter in verse 3 talking about what God's done in Christ. I mean, this is you, such heights of, of God's revelation in Christ for us, implementing the plan of God for us, for you, for me, for the world. And then he gets to verse 13. He says, when you heard the word of truth that is the gospel of your salvation. You see, in the gospel, I know that's an old, that seems like an old religion kind of word, gospel. It's a great word. It means good news. It's the news we've been waiting for. It's the news the world wants to hear, and it's beautiful news. I mean, I know sometimes we look at our faith, we may look at the word, we may look at the gospel, we may look at these things through the eyes of our culture, our society, and all of the media in which we're confronted by things of of our world. But we look at that world differently because of this gospel. We look at that world differently because of this Jesus. And that is the truth that is the belt, as it were. We might ask, how might Satan pierce that belt of truth? Well, lies and deception, perversions of the truth, substitutes of the truth, distractions of the truth. You know, I, when, we, when we think of spiritual warfare, we, we, we think of these demonic realities, these angelic forces that do the bidding of the devil, of Satan. And I have seen people change before my eyes because they hear voices. 
But I'm not talking about dynamic, de demonic forces and voices. I'm talking about listening to the voices of other people. I'm talking about people that listen to a friend and their whole countenance can change. Their whole attitude can change. Their plans can change. Their hopes can change. I've heard, I've seen people listen to gossip and their whole countenance changes. They're transformed. Sometimes they can't even get out of it. They're, it's like they're stuck in the words that they've heard. Sometimes I hear people who just hear other people or they hear people that they've never met but they see their avatar, their image on television or they hear their voice through music and they are changed by this. That's powerful influence. Sometimes the effects you might even call demonic because it's so contrary to the gospel, so contrary to what God wants to do in that person's life. Whose voice are you listening to? You need to be considering those voices. What is, what is their authority? What are their credentials? How is it that they can displace the Lord and his beautiful voice with the message of truth and goodness, his presence in our life, who wants to promote love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, even self-control. So I want to encourage you to realize that we don't have to actually hear voices of demons in our head, sometimes our own voices get so influenced and twisted by the voices of others that it has the same effect. I once went to visit a pastor of a 3,500-member church, kind of at the peak of ministry success, and uh, I knew him, and I, I was in the area, and I made an appointment because I wanted some counsel, I was just a little old pastor from the Bay Area with a little church. But I had a real problem. And I remember in talking to him about my problem, he began to talk to me about some of his. And he talked about some of the struggles that he was facing. But you know what was really interesting to me is he described one of his problems as this. He said, I'm a victim of the last voice I hear. You know, sometimes we need to go to the Word. We need to have counsel that's from the Lord that we can find trustworthy and not just the last person we heard. And that's the, important of the importance of the belt of truth. What's your standard of truth? What is your standard of truth? And does it create beauty? Does it create good? Is its product eternal. These are the things of the truth of the gospel. A second thing I'd like us uh, to consider is right here, the breastplate of righteousness. 
what if Satan wanted to pierce the breastplate of righteousness, how could he do that? Well, one of the things I think that would be most powerful and striking and hit at the heart of the gospel is to get us to focus more on the law than grace. In other words, make us lovers of the law, just like the Pharisees. You know why Jesus took exception with the Pharisees? It wasn't some of their beliefs, but fundamentally, they loved the law. And because others didn't love it as much as they loved it, then they spent a lot of their time finding fault with those who didn't love the law as much as they loved the law. They were fault finders, and they were quick to point out how other people were falling short of the law. They became so preoccupied with the law that they became blind to their own weaknesses and missing the point of the whole law. And so it was, Jesus called that kind of law-loving hypocritical because they saw the fault in others and became blind to their own. Self-righteousness is blind to God's grace. Sometimes we can take such pride in what we're doing right and how we're not like them. And we can point to the fact we're upholding the law. But in the process, we have lost sight of justice. And more importantly, God's grace by which we ourselves, who were not worthy, were lifted up and given new life. So when we think of the breastplate of righteousness, let's remember God's grace and love is the instrument of that righteousness. It, it's what creates... Does love sin? Could God's love ever do something wrong? No. And if you love with God's love... You'll be plenty righteous. You'll be plenty just. You'll be more and more holy as love becomes the most prominent aspect of his life. But legalism, performance-based Christian living is a dead end. So put on the breastplate of righteousness because you are righteous not by virtue of what you have done, but by virtue of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's grace. Very important. Verse 15, the shoes of readiness of the gospel of peace. We often overlook the word readiness, but it is so important to realize that it is that readiness, feet, you know, hey, have you ever tried to run with these goat head stickers around? Oh my goodness. Or across the carpet with little Legos? <laughs> devastating, devastating. You gotta have your sandals on. Where do you get those sandals? Well, they're the sandals, as it were, in Paul's metaphor that we put on our feet because we are prompted to carry a message forth and it's that readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This is a, an image that comes from the book, the prophet Isaiah, 
How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. We now have this new life in Jesus Christ, and so we're energized to bring that wherever we go. It isn't just the mission field or North or South America. It's our homes. It's our, our neighborhoods. It's our workplace. It's our school. That's really important to, uh, to see the word here of readiness. I think Satan sometimes wants to uh, defeat us in this area by conf- having us confuse peace with leisure or comfort. Now, this peace is the wholeness of the new life. It's the shalom of God. It's what the Jews look forward to, the shalom of God. His shalom will make everything all right. That shalom is something that we already have, and it's out of that, that peace, that we're prompted to bring the message. It doesn't mean you have to be an evangelist. You're just living for life, for Christ, and living life for him all the time. And that's very important. But just don't confuse that leisure and comfort uh, with peace. Because there is this thing, sometimes we think, man, I've become a Christian, I've got my insurance uh, policy uh, against uh, God's judgment. Uh, Jesus is my buddy, and uh, I'm just going to live life the way I want to now because I've got all this truth in me. But you see, that's not the life of God. It's, it's not just for eternal life. It's life now. And God wants us to be living that. And so that's represented in us putting on our sandals and, uh, and running forth because we have a message that is our life in Christ. Shield of faith. It will extinguish all the fiery darts, we're told. Shields were layered with leathers and uh, materials so that they would extinguish and uh, absorb the impact of arrows, even burning arrows. But if we were to ask how might Satan pierce the shield of faith, I would think it would have to do with us thinking that faith is magic. And magic is a power without suffering, a power without responsibility, a power without risk, a power without any kind of personal investment. It just makes life easier. So we like it. It's like magic. No elbow grease required. No risk involved. You don't have to. Just it happens for you. And sometimes the lure of Satan in this world is that we should get rich quick. Have all of our happiness the easiest way. That's why we're so susceptible to the, hey, three quick reasons, five easy ways. Magic. Well, listen, the shield of faith, faith is not magic. Faith is our response to God's work in our lives, response to his word. It may require trust. It may require getting up and preaching. It may require asking forgiveness or extending forgiveness. That's faith in action. That's That's the shield that really shelters us against demonic or spiritual warfare. The helmet of salvation, 
our deliverance, how might Satan pierce the helmet of salvation to diminish the worth of that salvation or diminish your value? As I said, you are worth a son to God. And then finally, verse 18, the sword of the Spirit. And those words, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who is powerfully at work in our life. That is the Word of God. He's the author of the Word of God, our Bibles. He is the presence of the Word of God in our hearts. He is operating in line with the Word of God in Romans chapter 8, verse 27. 26 and 27, it says the Holy Spirit actually intercedes, listen to me, intercedes for you and me when we pray. And while we're praying at one level, he's praying at a deeper level, a level too deep for words. And you know what he's praying? We're told he is seeking God's will to be fulfilled in our lives on our behalf as an aid and an ally. That's why the Gospel of John calls the Spirit the paraclete. So all of this armor, you put these things on impenetrable. I don't want you to be afraid of spiritual warfare. This this morning I have a pounding headache. Have you ever had a pounding headache? You just, you want to get out of the bright lights, especially those blue ones. And you just want to be somewhere else. But sometimes you step out on faith and you speak through it anyway. You go on anyway because it's a matter of faith. There's something more important, and God supplies, and God takes care of you, and God makes a way. I talked about the Hibernia. Let me just mention the Great Wall of China. That, that is impenetrable. Shelley went a few years back, so did Pastor Leroy and some others from uh, Visalia. 30 feet high, 18 feet thick, 1,500 miles in length. I can't even conceive it. I, I can just see those pictures. It's too high to climb over, too thick to break through, and it's too long to go around. And after its completion... In the first hundred years, three times that wall was breached. Do you know how? (laughs) The impenetrable wall of China can't go over it, can't go through it, can't go around it, and yet invading armies breached it three times by bribing a guard. And that raises this question that I'll leave you with. What is your price? What is your price? Because you have an impenetrable power greater than the wall of China or the Hibernia oil station in Jesus Christ. But the devil, he'll come with money in his hands, so to speak, with a price you can't refuse so to speak. But you can in the strength of Jesus Christ and your reward will be great. Will you stand?
I'm going to be up here along with pastoral staff, elders, and their spouses, but let me pray for us right now. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son. One day, we will know what we try to comprehend here through your word and in our daily lives. Father, help us to trust you with everything we've got, that we might be strengthened to see what you do when we put our faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' matchless name and all of God's people said, God bless you.